For years, while advances have been made in treating many autism symptoms, those who are considered on the more severe end of the spectrum, including those with minimal or no language, have still struggled. It was just recently discovered that minimal language does not necessarily mean minimal cognitive ability. Through technologies like assisted language devices, some people who could not communicate now had a lot to say. But still, it's been hard to understand what's going on in the brains of people who have minimal verbal ability, which is why focusing on this group is so important. Recently, a group out of Rutgers University, and woot woot to my alma mater, put recording caps on the heads of those with minimally verbal or nonverbal autism and compared it to those who did not have autism. They put the kids in front of a video screen and recorded their brain activity when either general auditory or visual stimuli was presented, and then what was called higher level lexical processing was presented. This basically means that scientists pair words and pictures and looked at the brainwave activity if the words are paired correctly, like a dog and then the sound of a woof woof, or incorrectly, like a car and a splashing sound. There's actually a particular wavelength that appears at a specific time after the picture and the word are presented together called the N400. Other studies have showed that individuals with autism have the wavelength at different times than typically developing individuals and in different areas of the brain. That's pretty interesting, but no study has really looked at individual differences and looked particularly at those with minimal or no verbal ability. So this new study found that the brain activity during basic sounds or pictures was essentially as the same of those with or without autism. But when higher level processing was needed, the two groups really diverged. The brainwaves came at different times or were either smaller or bigger. But this was only the case for about half the group, so they may be compensating in some way. Some of the kids may have more abilities than what would be suggested if you looked at the whole group, and it may actually predict who responds to what type of treatment. So this brainwave activity may actually be the same type of precision medicine biomarker that I talked about with oxytocin and may be able to pick out some people with minimal or no language that would be responsive to different types of interventions. And while this biomarker is new and it's an exciting way to pick out the right treatment for each person, it actually hasn't been tested that way yet. Instead, there's actually just a lack of studies on what, if anything, helps anyone communicate when they have little or no language. But there have been a few studies and I wanna talk about those today. Last year, I talked about a study from Connie Cassery's lab at UCLA that looked at the combination of assisted speech devices and behavioral interventions. Later on in the year, she and collaborators at Kennedy Krieger and Vanderbilt pushed it a step further and targeted social communication rather than just language per se. So people can say words, but sometimes they're not actually communicating to others in a social way. In their study, they combined a speech-generating device together with a social communication intervention based on play. They found that both helped, but the speech device really helped kids make greater gains in the interchanges between them and people when it was combined with a social intervention. It shows that social engagement is key to developing communication skills in those with little or no language. If you've ever worked with anyone with autism, you know about PECS, or Picture Exchange Communication System. It's where people can communicate by putting together pictures to make meaning into sentences. It's one of those things that everyone assumes it's effective, but not a whole lot of studies have actually been done on it. It's been used a lot. There's just not a lot of scientific evidence. Thankfully, that's changing. 
In a small study about a month ago, PECS was studying preschoolers, and their peers were the ones who were communicating with them using the system. There were just four kids, but all four children increased their communicative functions to a comment and a share rather than to just ask for something. Typically, kids with autism normally use these devices to ask for something. But engaging their peers, they were allowed to increase interaction rather than just requests. Finally, I was excited to see a study that looked at music therapy. Okay, it wasn't just total music therapy, but it brought music into the session, which is shown to be important for many kids with autism, especially those that are nonverbal. There is actually evidence that music in the right context is effective for treating people with nonverbal autism. Researchers at Boston University are using something called auditory motor mapping training. Now, if I understand this right, there are two syllable words that are intonated in different ways. It starts with, when you were a little, you were a baby. Instead of saying baby, I said baby. Then they repeat it until the child continues on their own with the intonation. And the intonation turns out to be important. What also is important is the clinician is tapping on electric drums with the same two pitches as baby for the alternating intonation patterns. They hear the words and they see the drumming. In this way, they can also see the relationship between the two actions. I think many people, myself included, remember music therapy as being someone sitting in front of a child with autism with a guitar and singing. Okay, there might be that, but when it's done right and when it works is when it's done in an environment that facilitates not just words, but communication, social communication, eye gaze, and other targets of autism symptoms. So as it turns out, if you do the same exact thing without the intonation in the drums, just repeating the words over and over again, the intervention doesn't work. The drums and the intonation are key. The kids who receive this intervention speak more syllables and consonants. The big takeaway for me are two things. First, adding different therapies together seems beneficial. Adding music and a speech therapy helps. Adding a speech generation device to a social communication therapy helps. Adding peers to deliver PECS helps. Also, in all these studies, there's one important thing that came out over and over again. The abilities at baseline predicted how well people did at the end of the study. Someone would say 10 words or phrases or even syllables did not make the same gains as someone that, say, had 30 words or phrases and syllables at the beginning of the study. It's more complicated than 10 to 30, but I don't want anyone to get the idea that it works the same in every person. The brainwave signal isn't the same in every person, so that's more of biological evidence of variability in response to treatment. But in some of these smaller studies, these sorts of interventions did seem to help most people in some way, which is good news. I kind of think that this is the group that needs our help the most. The ones that are nonverbal or the ones that have intellectual disability or both. Thanks for listening.